Hello and welcome to the Sonic Cinema Podcast. My name is Brian Scuttle and thank you for joining me at www.sonic.cinema.com. Join me at Sonic Cinema Patreon at patreon.com backslash Sonic Cinema. I have got a uh, good variety of music and movie related uh, posts happening there. I just posted my second uh, exclusive early access uh Review for patrons for Alan J. Pakula's All the President's Men. That will be on Sonic Cinema next month. But um, I've also got a couple of uh, new looks at my music and my uh, creative history, as well as um, I'm going to be doing some special uh, posts for uh, members, Patreons, at uh, Dragon Con at the end of August. So that's patreon.com backslash sonicsim. I hope you join me doing that. I'm pleased to uh, join, be joined today by a writer and director primarily known for his work in genre. Uh, his short films include The Minions, uh, Berenice, based on a Edgar Allan Poe story, Pickup, and Slapface. Uh, one of the reasons we're going to be talking right now, though, is for his feature film, Black Wake, which just got picked up for distribution uh, for home media through Sony Entertainment. And it's a wonderful uh, riff on the found footage genre as well as the monster genre. And I uh, definitely hope you check that out. comes out on August 7th. But for now, I'm pleased to be joined by uh, writer and director uh, Jeremiah Kip. I'm pleased to be joined by a writer-director today whose um, work is something I've become familiar with over the past few years, uh, primarily in short films, uh, with a particularly great one based on Edgar Allan Poe, uh, Berenice, uh, which I thought was a quite striking when I saw it a few years ago. He's also done work, uh, shorts called The Minions and Pickup, and his most recent one that I've seen is Slapface. Uh, part of the main reason for this uh, interview at this time, though, is he has a feature film inspired by the uh, work of Lovecraft called Black Wake that is going to be released on Sony Entertainment uh Home home media on August seventh, uh, if I recall correctly. Yep. And I'm pleased to be joined by uh, Jeremiah Kip today. Thank you very much for joining me. Well, thank you, Brian. Um, the first the first question I tend to start off with with uh, everybody. It's a pretty general one. Uh, what what exactly inspired you to get into uh, movies? Well, uh, well, I grew up in uh, Rhode Island, which weirdly is H.P. Uh, Lovecraft country. Uh, and uh, it was very rural. I grew up with my grandparents. And uh, I don't know, you know, I guess the very first impulse was uh, I always liked to draw. And, like, uh, my, my grandparents were really big on stories. So I was reading a lot of, uh, you know, Stephen King and comic books and things like that, you know. And... Uh, when, the, when my grandparents got a VHS camcorder just to record family picnics and weddings and stuff like that, I immediately saw it as a way to tell stories and to 
get all my friends together and be like, all right, you guys are zombies and you're going to be attacking the house because I <laughs> loved uh, Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead so much. Yeah. Uh, you know, George Romero was just one of those very early inspiring filmmakers. I mean, you know, all, all the movies I saw when I was a kid were inspiring. I mean, I loved Blade Runner, but you can't really watch Blade Runner and be like, yeah, I'm going to go out and make that. Whereas George Romero, you felt like it was like a bunch of people who you might know in real life who grabbed a camera and said, we're going to go out and tell a story uh, about stuff that could happen to you if the supernatural were, uh, were right at your door. So movies like Night of the Living Dead and Martin just felt so personal and they felt so accessible and they felt so immediate. Mm -hmm. Uh, and and that's when I said, wow, you could actually really go do this. You could actually go make things. Uh, and that's when I started making stuff with my friends. Uh, and we made a bunch of movies when I was in high school. Our most ambitious one was this crazy uh, three-hour-long adaptation of The Stand, that, you oh, know, wow. that plague novel by Stephen King. <laughs> it was total rubbish, but, uh, but we had an amazing time doing it. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, it was, it was more by making stuff, you know, that made me say, like, I love doing this. I love telling stories through pictures. Mm -hmm. And I said, I want to do this for the rest of my life. So while along the, along the years there were many movies that inspired me, it was also the doing of it, the making of things that inspired me. And uh, it just created a belief of mine that uh, work begets work. And the only way to get work is by continuing to work and create new things. And... Uh, uh, that's kind of been my motto since film school up till today. Um, there's obviously, based on what you just said, as well as the films of yours that I've seen, there's obviously a, uh, a, a tilting towards the horror genre uh, from you. What, what uh, was it just the, uh, the authors and the writers that, sort of spoke to you as far as Stephen King and Lovecraft or was what was it about the horror genre that seemed to resonate with you? I think it was that horror reminded me of like fairy tales, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, it's like reality plus. So Hansel and Gretel would have been like social realism about two starving kids. If the witch hadn't shown up, Mm -hmm. And the witch is kind of what makes it something beyond, you know, it's like something slightly beyond what we expect in our daily reality. I don't know. And it, and it could have something to do with the fact that I grew up on a very isolated road. I mean, there were only a couple of houses mm -hmm. on the road that I grew up on. So it was kind of remote. So I'd be walking around in the woods and feel like nobody else was around. And, uh, you know, you started to just daydream and imagine what if there were monsters out here. Yeah. And I, I don't think that's usual for me. You know, it's like I remember after a bunch of my friends saw Red Dawn, they were like, oh, we can't wait for the communists to invade because we know these woods, you know, whatever. Yeah. But I always had an affinity to the monsters. I always loved, uh, you know, my grandfather really loved Frankenstein and King Kong and the Wolfman. And he loved showing me those movies. They really made a huge impression on him when he was a kid. And maybe his enthusiasm caught fire in me because he was a kid during the Great Depression and they would go see 
you know, Son of Frankenstein, where the hero swings to the rescue on a meat hook over a sulfur mm-hmm. pit, and there's monster, and it really brought him out of, you know, the, you know, going home and not having any food. You know, <laughs> it's like movies were really cheap to go see, mm-hmm. and I guess I felt that way too. You know, I always, I always loved creatures. You know, mm-hmm. and I always was fascinated by them. And, you know, occasionally a monster movie would come along that would blow your mind, like when John Carpenter did The Thing. Yeah. You'd never seen – I've never seen anything like that before or since. You know, it has a little bit of the invasion of the body snatchers thing and a little bit of the stuff that made Alien so great. But it's like a monster that can take on any shape, any form. It can imitate people. Mm -hmm. So it had this incredible ability to be whatever – it defied the imagination – yeah. You know, so it could be friend one second and then the next second be something from another world that you'd never you couldn't anticipate. Mm-hmm. You know, so stuff like that also was like it wasn't just that you loved the monsters, it was also that they were something adult that was beyond, you know, when I was a kid, it was something beyond my scope. Yeah. And I really liked that. And it made me feel like I wasn't being talked down to any more than I felt like fairy tales would talk down to me. Because fairy tales are very gruesome. And then horror films, I also thought, were not sugarcoating or bullshitting me mm-hmm. you know <laughs> and uh, i found that really exciting yeah and uh when you were when you were talking about uh you know your 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 youth where you would go through the woods and stuff like that and i mean your your imagination would go on and stuff like that 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 makes a lot of sense that you would have that experience sort of like in your in your head because of the fact that when I watched Slapface uh, a couple of days ago, it it begins with a boy in the woods. And I always love, I'm always fascinated when horror films use the woods and the forest as such a, as a location because it is so ripe with, uh, possibilities for that genre, and that's one of the. And as somebody who was in Boy Scouts, it's like I, you know, you you have those you have those moments where it's like you wonder, even even though ultimately it's like you have other people around you, so it's like you feel like you're gonna be okay. Well, what if you aren't? And right. uh, just I I will say I love. We'll go ahead and talk about uh, Slapface for a second. It's like I love the way that you. I love the that opening, uh, those opening uh, moments with the boy in slap face because it's so it it captures what I like best when filmmakers use the woods and use the forest as a location and horror, which is especially if they're taller trees. It's like it's so creepy, and the way the cinematography works, the way the music works, the way the lighting and all of that stuff, it it. It doesn't surprise me at all that you had that um, that experience because it does feel like it, it does feel that moment in particular in terms of Slapface does feel like it came from a uh, personal place. Yeah, it did. It was one of the more personal things I'd written in a while. Actually, I hadn't written anything in a long time. I, uh, I, I you know, I, uh, for a lot of my career, I've been doing uh, work for hire, which I love doing. You know, mm-hmm. it's like the five, I've directed five feature films and a bunch of short films. And, you know, almost none of them are stuff that I've written. Um, 
the closest I got to writing anything in the past like 10 years was uh, writing uh, uh, that adaptation of Edgar Allan Poe called Berenice, where, mm -hmm. you know, some of the dialogue was stuff that I'd written, but I always felt like I was telling an Edgar Allan Poe story. And then with Black Wake, the H.P. Lovecraft feature, it was written by Jerry Janda, who wrote Painkiller and a bunch of other great uh, horror stuff. And it's really Jerry's baby. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I felt like I was honoring Jerry's stuff, but I would write the occasional scene just more as a piece of glue to kind of stitch the whole movie together. But I think doing that gave me the confidence to say, uh, you know, I'd like to try to direct something that I've written. And the Slapface script was something I'd written a while ago. It was a feature, mm -hmm. you know, like a 90-page feature length that, uh, you know, that I kind of just put on the shelf and was like, well, you know, I don't know if I'll ever find the money to make this. I'll just keep doing the work for hire. Mm -hmm. But um, my director of photography, Dominic Civilli, who I work with frequently, said, uh, hey, Jeremiah, I've got $5,000. You know, just do like a proof of concept for Slapface. Write a five-page version of it. And I was like, wow, you know, like proof of concept. And uh, he's like, yeah, you know. And uh, I was like, okay. And I wrote the thing. And uh, immediately... I thought, well, what are the parts that I need for a short? I was like, well, the woods, of course, you know, mm -hmm. the woods yeah. are the, the first thing that comes to mind because if you're walking around in the woods, you, you know, as a kid, you would encounter weird animals or deer or something like that. Mm -hmm. But then occasionally, you know, like there'd be something in the distance and you weren't sure what the hell it was. Maybe it was some hunter or maybe it was some animal or maybe it was something that you don't know what it is, you know? And if it's getting to be like dusk or twilight, and the shadows are really deep, the harder it is to tell what's going on and the scarier it gets. And there was occasional, you know, there was occasional crime in my, where I grew up. I mean, like this sort of like, you know, I, I grew up uh, in a very low, lower class rural environment where people had guns and stuff like that. And sometimes people would get thrown in jail for doing stupid shit, you know? So there was a certain, you know, feeling of like, are there, human monsters out there or, you know, and then your mm -hmm. imagination old. as you're a kid, you're like, are there real monsters out there? Yeah. Uh, and that was the jumping off point for the, for the, for the short and the uh, feature. Now, as it turns out that Dominic who said he was going to give me five grand had no money at all. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but we did a Kickstarter Indiegogo thing and uh, uh, got the money that way. And Dom was like, thank God. Thank God, because I only had a thousand dollars, and I just wanted to inspire you to go make something that was very close to your heart. And I'm incredibly grateful to him for that, because yeah. as much as I love a lot of the <clears throat> shorts and features that I've done, like Pickup is a short that's incredibly close to my heart, you know. But like this was something that felt a lot more personal, mm -hmm. you know, when you're directing something that you've written that is not autobiographical but personal. You know, it's like you are kind of following these nerve endings and you you are a little bit more like, gosh, I mean, I know I love this, but I don't know if anybody else will. But I have to follow the thread anyway. I have to I have to do this just to to express something I believe in very fully. and I want to share it with everybody. And, and then ultimately, it's like whether people like it or not is not up to you. It's up mm -hmm. to them. You know, all you can do is create it as honestly as you can and then put it out into the world. Yeah, and, and and it's one of those things where it's like that. It's it it's one of those uh, I short films. I I've seen now quite a few short films over the years. I've started about 
don't know, nine, ten years ago or so, I started running, started reviewing short films after never really paying much attention to them. And then it's it's fascinating to me the way people find ways to tell complete stories in a short period of time. And that's that's one of the things that really that's one of the things that really intrigued me about um your work other than the fact that it's it's it feels more uh stylized and the the vis- from a visual standpoint it feels more stylized and stylish and crisp than a lot of short shorts that I see and it's, I mean it's not a knock against them it's just that's kind of the way it is at times but the fact of the matter is it's like it's watching watching one of your films it's it's just very very striking just um the the level of uh craft that goes into it well, I'm very grateful to to hear that I'm very grateful for your words I mean I care a lot I don't really separate the technical making of aspects from the film to, from the content you know I care as much about the pictures and telling stories through the pictures as I do of the dialogue and the performances. It all, it all has to come together for me equally. Um, but I love the short film format. You know, I, it's, you know, like guys like Edgar Allan Poe and H.P. Lovecraft, who you mentioned earlier, made entire careers based on their short stories. Mm-hmm. They each only wrote one novel and both their novels were terrible, <laughs> you know, but their short stories are, are brilliant, you yeah. know, and, and perfect. And, uh, and other, and there are other writers who are not genre writers like Raymond Carver, who just made a living doing, doing short stories. And I wish that there was a market for like, a you know, I mean, I've, I've made a lot of short films and I pay the rent a lot of the time doing these work for hires, you know, but, uh, so I've made many, many short films and I've made a pretty good living doing mostly that. But, you know, but it's harder, but there's really no, you know, you can't really survive on royalties off of a short film. You know, right. it's like, uh, right. it's not really, a, there's not really a market for it. But that said, I love, when I love other filmmakers who are prolific short filmmakers. There's, there's a guy named Patrick Ray out in the Midwest, and he's made dozens of short films. Mm-hmm. And he's, I consider him my, my, I mean, I, I love Patrick's work tremendously, and I always try to support him on social media, and I really admire him, and I always catch up with him at film festivals. We're always talking to each other on uh, Messenger and so on. But, like, uh, you know, but he's a guy where it's like, I mean, he, if there were a short film market, he would have the corner on the market for them. I mean, he's just told so many great Twilight Zone-type stories through the short film format. And he's made, I think, two feature films, and he's done some television now. You know, so we check in with each other on... Hey, so what was your experience like working with famous actors, you know, or whatever? Or uh, <laughs> yeah. you worked with Bad Doris' da- daughter, uh, Fiona. What was she like? Oh, she was great. Oh, oh, wonderful. I hope I get the chance to work with her sometime, mm-hmm. and so on. So, uh, you know, so um, but I but I but I find that but I, I like the short film format also because it all drives towards one peak moment, you know. Whereas like feature films, you know, it's like you think of them more as like a series of mini arcs that build up to a final. Confrontation. It's just it's more like climbing a a very, very short hill. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> versus climbing up the peaks of a mountain. Mm-hmm. And uh, with with that, I mean, I'd like to segue a little bit into uh, Black Wake because actually, sure. the way you described feature film is actually 
it it feels very much in the structure of what Black Wake is, um, which is it's ultimately it's it's a riff on the uh, found footage genre in terms yeah. of style. Uh, it's not in the same way of you think of Blitter Witch or Paranormal Activity or anything like that. But it basically the way that the uh, story is told is it's it's told in a very uh, third person with some first person uh, cinematography in there, um, where it's basically recounting the uh, beginnings of an outbreak. That's right. And uh, I I watched it earlier this year, I think February or something like that, and I was just completely engrossed and it's just I really enjoyed watching it and what where what did what drew you to that um story to uh tell well it's really funny it's like the way this story even came about was uh writer Jerry Janda like overheard me in an interview very much like this one and they asked me what subgenre of horror films would you never want to touch ever and I said, oh, I never want to do a found footage movie. I don't like the <laughs> format. And I'm not interested in it. I find it a very limiting form. And mm-hmm. then Jerry, who's very perverse, was sitting on the beach one day being like, all right, I got to think of a found footage movie that I can present to Jeremiah. And then, you know, Jerry being Jerry, he was looking out of the water, you know, thinking of story ideas. And he imagined a giant H.P. Lovecraft monster rising up out of the water and marching towards him. And he was like, "Oh, there's there's the found footage movie right there. You know, yeah. we'll do a we'll do a found footage Elder Gods monster movie, which I thought was a pretty and, and crazy. How crazy is it to do that on such a, a low budget? It's it's yeah. kind of bonkers. And I think that's one of the things I kind of enjoyed about the the script was it's uh, like Jerry." kicked it off with a high level of ambition. Mm-hmm. You know, you can kind of do, uh, you know, a serial killer movie or a torture porn movie or whatever, but it's very challenging with very little money to do, you know, H.P. Lovecraftian monsters uh, that are rising up out of the ground. Because immediately it's like, we're not, we can't do it just with practical effects. You know, we have to now incorporate certain level of CGI and how are we going to do that? Right. Anyway, he wrote the script without thinking of the budget. He was like, all right, monsters appear and people's heads explode <laughs> and parasites come out. And, uh, there's an outbreak that's all along the East and West coast. Anywhere there's water, there's the, the shit is going down. Mm-hmm. And I was and something that did give me inspiration was, you know, uh, uh, George Romero didn't have any money when he made, Made the crazies, you know, which is mm-hmm. about an outbreak of madness. And I thought, well, he somehow figured out a way to make it work. And I mean, I thought that he managed to do a better job with the scale than we did. I mean, you know, he was able to get in Pittsburgh a bunch of, you know, jeeps and military uniforms and so on, you know, and machine guns and all this stuff. But uh, I was like, okay, you know, let's look back to Uncle George and see what he did. And then I also reread H.P. Lovecraft and Bram Stoker's Dracula. And, of course, they're told in this epistolary uh, format where it's, like, always people's diaries and newspaper articles and things like that. So I was like, oh, Dracula is kind of a found footage book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and H.P. Lovecraft is so often these, like, lawyers or scientists or men of reason 
who are like writing down what they saw in a document so that they can uh, preserve it or share it with others. You know, mm -hmm. this is what I saw and I'm trying to write it down now before I forget it or I'm trying to write it down now so I don't go crazy. Uh, I was like, all right, that's a pretty good uh, reason. You know, the reason, you know, you always watch these movies and you're like, why don't you just shut off the damn camera and run? Yeah, you exactly. Know? And, <laughs> you know, it's like, all right, if you're a scientist or if you're, you're you know, well, the, you know, also it's like there's this paranoid conspiracy thrower thing that mm -hmm. they put into it where everybody is filming everybody because, you know, one of the characters has a, a deeper purpose and there's suspicions all around that. So everybody's filming everything as a way to cover this anomaly, uh, which I also thought I was like, well, that also to me is scary. This sort of, this, this incredible lack of privacy and, uh, and that everybody is watching you and there's a secret that you don't know, but you feel like something is sneaking up on you. Mm -hmm. And then whenever that's like boring, we could always cut to somebody else who's like, you know, driving along in a truck filming, you know, on their phone, trying to be like, you know, something fucked up is going on down by the river and we got to film it. So in that way, like, you know, I mean, I'm always happy when audiences like the movie. I think one of the things that does help a little bit is that every, every five to 10 minutes, like we're able to cut to a bunch of other characters who are trying to figure out what's going on. So, mm -hmm. you know, so it's constantly changing the game and giving you new information or new characters to follow. And uh, while I think World War Z, the book, does a much better job than we did, you know, it's like, you know, one of the things I liked about reading that book that inspired me a little when we were doing Black Wake was that if, you have, if you're following a bunch of different characters, then the situation becomes larger than any of them. Yeah. And if you're getting tired of a character, you can always jump to another character and you're like, all right, well, I'm going to follow the other guy's story for a few minutes and see where that takes us, mm -hmm. you know, which is something I enjoyed about Black Wake. It gave opportunities for us to get people like, you know, Tom Sizemore in for a couple of days and he's playing a detective and we follow his story for a little bit. And then we mm -hmm. cut to, you know, back to our main scientist and we go back, go to these hunters in the woods and we go to Eric Roberts and we go to these other things. Um, so, uh, so it was something I found very pleasing. It created a kind of kaleidoscopic effect that's kind of different than if you're just telling one person's, story yeah and it, it also makes the film feel a lot bigger than it might be budgetary yeah. wise where because of the fact that you're dealing with because of the fact that you're instead of just focusing on a couple of central characters like most found footage movies do you're cutting to other people within the construct of this story as it's unfolding and so you're, you're not just stuck in the same place with the same characters for 80, 90 minutes. You're basically, you're getting the larger picture of what's going on. And I mean, I, I think that's, that's, one of the, that's one of the things that people, when they do the found footage, uh, when, when they use the found footage structure, that's, it's, they're, they're just going off of, Oh well, we'll just watch these people. Oh, this is like people just you know we're going to be watching these people for seventy five minutes as they go through this one situation. It's like right. uh, without really much context as to what the outside world is. I mean, something like you know paranormal activity, you can sort of do that, 
because of the fact that it's supposed to be two people in a house that might be haunted. But if you're doing something like I, the one that I'm thinking about is, uh, that was kind of disappointed was Chernobyl diaries a few years ago. It's like, that would have been such a much more interesting use of that. If you would, you would, the filmmakers had done a little bit more than just, oh, people decide they're going to go backpacking in Chernobyl and creepy stuff starts happening. Right. It's like, that's every other found footage movie. Why are we <laughs> doing something different? That's one of the things that I think is good, was interesting about not necessarily Cloverfield Paradox, but at least 10 Cloverfield Lane, where it's like, sure. you take this idea, you, you're you're going off of this central idea that they had in Cloverfield, but you're doing a different take on it. And that's that's and that's going to make the storytelling deeper. And so that that's one of the things I really liked about Black Wake is that you weren't just following, oh, this this scientist, you were following a lot of different it's a series of vignettes more than it is like a straightforward narrative. And that's one of the things I really liked about it. Yeah, yeah, it's something I enjoyed in the edit as well, was the ability to follow a different vignette whenever you felt like it. So uh, so even if people, even people who hate the film, who think it's like Sharknado, I mean, I, I love Sharknado, but like uh, <laughs> anybody who's like, ah, it's like, it's like the quality is like Sharknado 4, you know, it's like, well, that's fine, you know, it's like, uh, but at least, at least we keep changing the story every couple of minutes so that, you yeah, know, exactly. so that it stays fresh. And then when people do like the movie, I think they like it for that reason where they're like, all right, it's a, it's a fun cult movie that is bonkers because every time, you know, every, every time you're given a new piece of the mosaic, you know, something weird and interesting and new happens. Now these government agents are here, you know, now it's like, now the main character is part of a bigger conspiracy than we thought, you know, now uh, people are getting sick after reading this book or whatever, you know? So so it gave us a way to like gradually, you know, uh, tell the story, you know, give new pieces of the puzzle while at the same time, not allowing the audience to get bored by being locked in with just a handful of characters in a house or something like that, which by the way, 10 Cloverfield Lane, I thought did a really good job of, uh, you know, it's like, to me, that movie was like about the, a makeshift dysfunctional family, you know, yeah. it's like these three yeah. people trapped in the hole. <laughs> Uh, and if you're going to be trapped with somebody, then cast John Goodman, who mm-hmm. was so extraordinary in that movie, you know, and, and it can be done. I mean, that movie is a classic case of like three characters in a, in a, in a bunker can be just as riveting as a cast of thousands, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but yeah, I'm with you though. It's like a lot of found footage movies that are not paranormal activity, which I thought did a pretty good job of a couple people in a house, uh, just fall into the trap of like being like every other found footage movie. It's, it's, you can kind of tell when the filmmaker is like, Oh, let's cash in. Let's just do this really easy story. Camera (laughs) and five friends. We can easily do a found footage movie. And just, it's, it's inevitably going to feel like a retread of movies that you've seen already that are better. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, uh, I've seen Blair Witch and I've seen paranormal activity and I, and, and those movies are very effective at what they do. But once you've seen like the 25th variation of that, where like the filmmakers are kind of half-heartedly cashing in, yeah, then you don't feel then you don't feel so excited about it. You're like, ah, eh. they're just doing the same old 
you know, it's like when I go to McDonald's, I know what a Big Mac tastes like, you know, it's like, there's nothing, you know, it's like, yeah. I'm not getting anything special. Uh, and then at the very least, we hoped to do that with uh, Black Wake was at least try to push it a little further and try to do something different within the budgetary limitations. Mm -hmm. um, what, what exactly uh, you, 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 you've said that you work primarily as, you know, director for hire. What exactly is it about, uh, what uh, gravitates you towards doing one project over another? Well, always, it's usually the script, you know, it's like if, if the script speaks to me, then, uh, then I'll be excited, you know, like when I read Pickup, I found it as terrifying as any horror movie. And I immediately wanted to do it. I read it and said, you know, this woman dealing with this sexual addiction is as scary as any body horror movie that you could think of. So immediately I was like, yes, I want to do it. I think that's beautifully written. Um, but, it, you know, I, I, I did my first uh, TV show for Discovery ID last year, and uh, it was called Grave Mysteries. And uh, I interviewed with the showrunner who'd seen Pickup, and she was like, I like your style, and I think that your dark, macabre, uh, character-driven sensibility will be a good fit for our show, which is about, you know, the, the ostensibly it's about solving crimes through, uh, through digital formats, mm -hmm. but, uh, but really it's about, you know, uncovering, like, why people kill other people, you know? It's like, what, <laughs> what, what is the root cause of murder? And I was like, well, I'm fascinated by that. I was always interested in true crime. So I, so when I, when I met the showrunner, Eve Roderick, and saw how smart she was and saw how great her taste and sensibilities were and how, how much she cared about making a great show in a format that can often be cheesy. These crime recreation shows are so often silly and cheesy. But uh, this particular company, Lion Television, prides itself on making cinematic work and I knew that the show would play to my strengths of uh, stuff that's dark and characters who are dysfunctional and strange and other. Uh, so I knew that I'd, I'd be spending three or four months doing a TV show that I could gravitate towards. It's the kind of stuff that I would you know, read when I was in you know, high school. I'd be reading all these books about Ted Bundy and John Wayne Gacy and uh, you know, all these murderers just because once you that also is kind of like a reality plus, you know, it's like these people are not normal. Yeah. These people are a step beyond. And, you know, it's like, you know, when you watch a horror movie or you direct a horror show, you know, or a, or a crime show, you know, you're, you're able to examine that stuff safely. You know, you're able to present that to the audience in a safe way. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, you can all watch this creepy thing together and, uh, and observe and absorb and examine and say, what, you know, what does it mean? So that was a work for hire that I was like, I, I, I really love exploring this world for three months. And, and, you know, doing very, very dark films and very disturbing subject matter, you know, it's like, it doesn't take a toll. I mean, I, I like stuff that's dark, you know, I like going there because I feel like when we're making a movie or a television show, we're playing make-believe, Yeah. you know, and we can do it safely. Uh, and you know, like the safety of the cast and the crew is of paramount importance to me. It's like, if everybody feels safe, then they can do subject matter that is reprehensible, mm -hmm. you know, as long as they know that it's all pretend 
And because of that, they can go to the furthest region of their psyche or they can go out on an edge like their, if their character is doing something really disturbing. Mm-hmm. They know they themselves are an actor who is performing this and then is able to come back after we finish, you know. And having explored this thing, I, the actors who I really love working with, like Lucas Hassel is a guy who acted in a bunch of movies for me. He was the monster in Slap Face. He mm-hmm. played really disturbed guys in The Minions and a bunch of other films that I've done. And, you know, he is incredibly curious. He is a fearless actor. He's not afraid to, like, do very creepy stuff on camera because he knows that he'll come back from it. You know, it's like he, yeah. he knows, that, you know, he knows that that is a way for him to explore playing the murderer, the, the disturbed guy, the guy who is insane, who sees the world in a different way than we do. And then when it's done, he can come back, mm-hmm. you know, just as, you know, you watch the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the the Toby Hooper version. Uh, and you feel like you're going out of your fucking mind while you're watching it. Yeah. You know, it's <laughs> you feel like it was made by crazy people and you're going crazy while you're watching it. And then it's over and you're kind of like, wow, now that was an experience and I'm fine. You know, mm-hmm. I've just been through something, you know, uh, in, a, in a very, in a more, in a, in a, in a way that might even feel deeper than if you go on a roller coaster or something like mm-hmm. that, because it's kind of, attached itself to your psyche for 85 minutes or however long it is. So um, that's why I love making these things. And when I look at a work for hire, I often, ex- you know, ask myself the question of like, do I love the script? Am I doing something I haven't done before? And, and do I want to live in this world for however long it takes me to make this movie? Like we made black wake for, I mean, we, you know, from like starting from like when Jerry wrote the script to us being finished, it was probably like three years <laughs> of living in black week, you know, yeah. it's like not, not, not every day, you know, it's right, like, you know, right. you're, you're shooting it for like two and a half weeks spread out over time and you're editing it for, you know, like you're editing it for like nine months before visual effects come in and they're editing it for, then you're doing visual effects for another nine months because mm-hmm. every, you know, there's like 60 visual effects shots in that movie, which is a lot for, uh, for, for an independent film, yeah. you know, it's like, uh, and it's not, it's demanding things like, giant monsters and stuff. So that means those monsters have to be designed. Those monsters have to, you know, you have to figure out what does the monster look like? We went through many different designs before the animation stuff even starts. So when you choose a work for hire, that's a feature, a good question to ask is, can I, do I want to live in this world for three years? Can I collaborate with these people for three years? You know, like the producer, Mm -hmm. Carlos Keys, you know, I met him and, you know, it's like, I have to spend three years with this guy at least and then it's not over after that either it's like then there's press and then there's festivals and then there's black wake too maybe you know it's like uh, so um so you have to really you know i I learned that on my very first feature i i knew that i wasn't i knew that my crew and the cast and i were not going to get along with these producers i just knew it from a million miles away but i said this was a movie called the sadist which starred the great uh tom savini and uh the Killer in the Woods movie. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, but we did not get along with the producers at all. Nobody did. And they didn't like me. <laughs> and I didn't like them. And it was just a really horrible experience for all of us, you know. And uh, so since then, I've been way more cautious, mm-hmm. you know. I try, especially, you know, I mean, like on any project, you just, you know, it's like you have to ask yourself, who am I working with? Because, the child, you know, that we have, this movie, is going to resemble both of us, you know? Yeah. And do I that person's taste, you know? Do I like that person? Do I like their sensibility? 
because we're going to share this experience. It's going to have my fingerprints on it and your fingerprints on it. And it's going to be both of us, you know, and if I don't trust your taste or if you don't trust mine, then we're going to have problems. Uh, I'm really, the thing I'm happiest about with Black Wake was that Jerry Janda, who wrote it, he wrote most of it, you know, it's like his, it's his script. Yeah. You know, I feel like it's a Jerry Janda movie because I never would have thought of H.P. Lovecraft monsters coming up out of the sea. You know, I never would have thought of these zombies that have exploding heads and parasites. I know that's probably, you probably got that from Night of the Creeps, but like, uh, but nevertheless, you know, it's like still a pretty zany uh, premise. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas zombies are a little bit different than other zombies. They, yeah. they can talk, they can do this other stuff, and they're kind of fascinated by other stuff. So they aren't exactly George Romero zombies. I liked that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that was a work for hire where it wasn't mine, and I don't like found footage, and, you know, and I wouldn't have written it. But I read it, and I was like, Jerry, this is fascinating. This is bonkers. <laughs> this is a crazy idea. This is an insane idea. And I guess he responded, well, thank you. Uh, and, you know, Jerry, if you ever meet him, he doesn't, he doesn't go to festivals very often. He's very shy. He's a very quiet, professorial, mild-mannered guy. He has a very small cameo in Black Wake. He's one of the cops who shows up in the you know last like twenty minutes or whatever. Okay. Uh, but uh, but Jerry, like if you you know it's like David Cronenberg. You would imagine David Cronenberg to be a freak. You know <laughs> he does he does movies about TV sets that start kissing people and guys <laughs> who reach into their stomachs and pull guns out. And then you look at David Cronenberg. He looks like a tax accountant. Yeah. You know. <laughs> and Jerry Janda looks like uh, like he should be teaching. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> biology, you know, yeah. it's like, uh, today science, he writes on the blackboard, you know, and then he writes this perverse, weird, upsetting, crazy shit. Uh, and you're like, Jerry, where did you think of that? And he's like, well, I was reading about these, these beetles that, that feed on other beetles and then mutate into new things. And it gave me the idea for these parasites or whatever. And you're like, Jesus Christ, man, you're fucking, you are. <laughs> nobody, nobody knows, but I do. <laughs> anyway, work fire. It's like, choose the people you work with. Yeah. Carefully. Yeah. And obviously you have to love the story. And that's, that's the oh, most yeah. important thing, especially, I mean, as a storytellers, you, you want to be able to tell that story. Uh, who, oh, yeah. who are some of the filmmakers that have inspired you the most over the years? Well, you know, a bunch of them passed away recently. George Romero and Jonathan Demme both passed away in the same mm-hmm. year. And uh, Jonathan Demme, who did Silence of the Lambs and uh, uh, so many other uh, uh, great films, Something Wild and Married to the Mob, and uh, uh, the, he did the remake of The Manchurian Candidate. Yeah. He was a great humanist you know it's like you watch silence of the lambs and you feel like he loves all the characters yeah you know he loves jodie foster and he's fascinated by anthony hopkins and he respects scott glenn mm-hmm. and he loves to hate the guy playing dr chilton because he's <laughs> just so wonderfully corrosive and then jamie gum played by ted levine is like so strange and outlandish yeah. you, know, you see his you see its house and you're like it's so decorated and you're like they spent time thinking about him mm-hmm. and the, the thing that really you know and it's not that you love it's not that they want to be him it's that when that character gets blown away at the end of the movie uh i i saw it in like 19 whatever year it came out i think it was 1991 but i'm yeah. not sure yeah it was 91 
Yeah, I remember around that time there were so many movies like Fatal Attraction and that one with Julia Roberts where the bad guy is chasing after her, mm -hmm. where like the bad guy gets killed, but then the bad guy jumps up again yeah. after me, you know, whatever. <laughs> and in Silence of the Lambs, she shoots him, and then she's reloading her gun, and Buffalo Bill is lying there on the ground, like spitting up blood and coughing and dying like a like an insect that salt has been poured on. And it's just like his arms are flailing, and he's just dying in this shot that doesn't cut and you're just watching him die and it's really horrible. And yeah. it's just like, and you don't, and you're, you're, you know, I have no sympathy for serial killers. I believe, you know, I mean, I'm a, I'm a left-wing liberal guy, except about the death penalty where I'm for it. I mean, it's like John Wayne Gacy should go to the fucking electric chair, mm -hmm. but you know, you silence of the lambs and it's like, man, it's really, tough watching this guy die knowing how horrible he is you know knowing that he was going to carve up this woman and turn into a fucking suit yeah knowing that he's crazy and demented and disturbed and probably deserves it it's still awful and there's empathy in that mm -hmm. you know that, that was incredibly moving i was like really shocked i was like jonathan demi doesn't love this guy but he empathizes with him and he cares enough to like show the guy dying because he's a human being who just got blown away yeah uh and with that, at the same time, he tells the story of the woman in the well, played by Brooke Smith, the senator's daughter, who is so strong and so capable. And she captures the dog and is incredibly skillful at trying to navigate her survival and negotiate mm -hmm. her survival. She's not just some, you know, it's like, a lot, and then you realize that a lot of time in horror movies, the female victim is so helpless. Oh, yeah. And in this, and in this she's trying to take the power back. And she has a personality and a character and a will and a desire. And she's a real person, you know, and it's just like, man, why can't we, we should treat all of our characters this way. So Jonathan Demi in that way was a huge inspiration where it's like, try to love all of your characters and try to spend time with all of your actors so that all of your actors kind of treat it as if they're the main character in the story of Black Wake or Slap Face or whatever mm -hmm. it is. Dad is slapping the kid in slap face. It's not like I want to beat my child. Yeah. It's to shake this kid up because the kid is not with me right now. And I have to get him with me. I have to connect with him. And if this is the only way I can connect with him by slapping him in the face and getting him to slap me, then hopefully we can break through because the actor can't play. I'm the monster. You know, I'm the villain. I am the, you know, the ogre, mm -hmm. you know. In Black Wake, you know, it's like those government agents, you know, who are like kind of reprehensible, you know, when you think about what their mission is, you know, they're looking at it as we are on the brink of something extraordinary and we have to follow it through so that the extraordinary thing happens and we will be on the front line of that thing. Yeah. You know, in a case, one of the guys feels a little bad about, like, you know, what's going on. He's like, I feel bad about the people who got killed. The other guy's like, we have to stay on the mission. And he's not saying it because he's evil. Mm -hmm. He's saying it because they have a, he considers them to have a greater task. And I don't know if I would have had that empathy for all the characters without having seen so many of Jonathan Demme's wonderful films. Yeah. And I think Marrow and Dawn of the Dead has a very, you know, you watch Dawn of the Dead and all four of those guys in the shopping mall, you love all of them. Even, you know, Flyboy, you're like, oh man, what a dick. But then you love him, you know? You're like, no, he's just trying to keep it together, you know? Uh, and Roger is a goof. 
And you're like, Roger, stop fucking goofing off or you're going to get killed. But, you know, it's like, uh, but then you love that he's got this water beef. Uh, you know, and you feel really bad, and, you know, when stuff happens to the characters in Dawn of the Dead, even down to the zombies, you know, when, mm-hmm. when the, you know, like, there's the bit where uh, Galen Ross's character is in the, in the store and, then, and there's a zombie nun whose cloak is like kind of in the door, which kind of opens the door really quick and then closes it so that the zombie can be free. And it's just like, man, you know, it's like George Romero has enormous sympathy for the monster. You know, it's like, it's like he kind of in some ways has more sympathy for the monster than, uh, than for the humans, you know, uh, and yeah. that became more and more evident in his later stuff. Um, which is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, empathy, I guess, is the thing I learned from Jonathan Demme and George Romero, who are two of the greatest filmmakers I've ever got the chance to watch their films. Mm-hmm. You know, Thank God both of those guys made movies because they brought such a great gift to all of us. Yeah. Uh, so you've got the uh, release, the uh, home, home release of uh, Black Weight coming in in yeah. uh, August. Uh, where is that going to be available for everybody? Well, uh, I like to tell people it's going to be at Walmart's everywhere, uh, which is true. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's uh, in a lot of those kind of stores where they sell DVDs and Blu-rays. Bl- uh, Black Wake will be available. Uh, uh, so I know for sure at Walmart, and I know there are other outlets, probably places like Target and mm-hmm. stuff like that, where it'll be available if you like have DVDs and Blu-rays on your shelf. Oh, absolutely. And Amazon is uh, where it's on uh, VOD. I know there are other. Uh, I know there are other uh, VOD outlets for it, but I know Amazon is doing uh, pre-orders for Black Week, mm-hmm. so people can go can search on Amazon for Black Week, type it in, and then they'll find the link to uh, Black Week, and then they can pre-order it, and then it will arrive on uh, on August seventh, and then uh, they can do a one-time viewing or or download it and watch it as many times as they want. Okay. Uh, what do you have uh, coming up next as a well? It's in the, I'm in the midst of a negotiation right now. You know, it's uh, once um, once Black Wake sold to uh, Sony, uh, that opened a, quite a few doors, and uh, and with Slapface playing the festival circuit and Black Wake selling at the same time, it kind of became a perfect storm where we optioned uh, we optioned uh, uh, Slapface to a uh, production company and that option's about to expire and then there's these these, the, uh, these other fellas who uh who want to make the movie and I mean, i'm talking to them again like the option expires like next week so then i'm talking to them the day after the option expires uh mm-hmm. to see if we can work a deal these gentlemen who had a, a great success at south by southwest they had a film that did very well so now they have this money and they want to do a genre film and uh and they want to make something along the lines of the great films that are coming out, like the Babadook or Hereditary, where it's like a dysfunctional family with a, with a creature or a supernatural mm-hmm. force. And Slapface fits that model. So they loved the short. They loved the feature-length script. They loved the lookbook that we created, which tells how we're going to make the movie. And hopefully, I mean, and they seem like the right people. You know, they seem like they're at the right level of independent filmmaking where what they want and what I want are actually meeting. Uh, so I hope, knock on wood, I'm knocking on my thick skull right now, uh, uh, hopefully we'll be able to carve out a deal and uh, get Slapface going. I, and I should hopefully have more information about that within the next like couple of weeks. But that is my main agenda right now, is like getting the Slapface feature made 
Um, and I've kind of been holding off on other projects just because I want to put all my mm-hmm. energy into this, uh, into this feature. Um, so we'll see, we'll see, you know, we'll see how it all goes, but I'm very happy that the short version of Slapface face and the feature length, uh, black wake have been opening doors for, uh, for, uh, for the next project, whatever that project may be, hopefully Slapface face, the feature. Yeah, well, good luck with that. I'm definitely, I, I'm definitely interested in what a uh, feature-length version of a slap face would would look like. I'm, I, I'm definitely very, I, I really enjoyed the, uh, I really enjoyed watching the short, and I really thought it had some really fascinating ideas in it. So, I'm, I'm curious to see uh, what that would look like as a feature film. So, I definitely hope that is able to get off the ground for you. Thank you. Um, before we before we uh, close, where can where can people uh, find you online? Well, my website is kipfilms.com. That's K I double P two P's like Paul Films F I L M S dot com. So on the media page, there's a bunch of my work that's available for public viewing, and then I'm very active on uh, social media. So I use. I use Facebook uh, as a way to not just market my work, but share uh, share my enthusiasm for what's going on in mm-hmm. the in the world of horror. You know, so I like to try to highlight other actors and filmmakers and and folks that are out there making stuff or festivals that I've really enjoyed. Um, so uh, yeah, if you do the search for Jeremiah Kip, I usually within reason, accept friends and uh, try to get the word out about what's going on through, through that and Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what, uh, one, one uh, final question. What are some of you, what are some of the horror movies? We've already talked about a few. What are some of the uh, horror movies uh, that have inspired you the most over the years? Well, gosh, you know, the one that, scares me the most is actually uh the invasion of the body snatcher movies uh mm-hmm. the 1950s one the 1970s one and then abel ferrara made one and I, be- I think in the 90s and uh and we'll ignore the nicole kidman one that i thought was a travesty uh <laughs> but uh, uh but there's something in those movies that was speaking to those places and those times yeah uh i thought it was like a time capsule for those eras but then also taps into a really deep fear that I have in my life, which is like to be convinced of a belief that I don't have or to be transformed into someone else or to be made to believe something I don't believe. I mean, I was sort of weirdly terrified of cults when I was a kid, like uh, Jim Jones and Jonestown and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or, or, you know, uh, or of anybody getting inside of your of your head. Uh, which is why I also find the thing so terrifying. You know, it's like you are not you anymore. Yeah. You are this other thing that uh, is going to take you over. And the body snatchers were going to take over everything. And the, uh, the I thought all three of them were great, great movies. And uh, the Abel Ferrara one had a body snatcher literally say, where are you going to run? Where are you going to hide? Nowhere, because there's no one like you left. Mm-hmm. Which I think is that primal fear that you have when you see those few human characters running around in a cityscape where everyone else is chasing after them. You know, I, I can't think of anything more nightmarish than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so invasion, yeah. So um, the Don Siegel, Phil Kaufman, and Abel Ferrara invasion of the body snatchers. 
I think are some of the most astonishing uh, genre films that I've ever seen. And I think we're long overdue for another uh, another variation of uh, of that. And I, I think our, our our contemporary climate of uh, distrust, yeah. no matter what your political party is, you know, is uh, is truly uh, frightening. Mm-hmm. And uh, and all that stuff about us living in a post truth world and so on, you know, all that stuff is like ripe metaphor for invasion of the body snatchers. Yeah. Well, Jeremiah, thank you very much for uh, talking with me today. Thank you. Um, and yeah, this this was this was a lot of fun. Your your filmmaker has been on my radar for a few years now because of your shorts, and it's great to see that you've had success with uh, Black Wake, and yeah, I definitely hope that leads to uh, bigger things for you, in, including a uh, feature-length version of uh, Slapface. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that if it gets off the ground. So, well, Thank you, man. I'll, I'll, I'll certainly keep you posted on whatever, uh, whatever comes next. I'd like to thank Jeremiah for uh, joining me on the podcast today. It was really great to hear him talk about his career, what inspires him, the uh, type of uh, movies that have inspired him, as well as the way he's been inspired as he's made th- uh, movies such as Slapface and Black Wake. Again, Black Wake is going to be available on August 7th through Sony Home Entertainment. Uh, that's it for now. August, as far as patrons go, is going to be more movie-related heavy, uh, including a uh, commentary that has never been heard on Sonic Cinema before, one that we did, a my friend Ronnie Haynes and I did a while back, and I'm also going to go a little bit more into one of the uh, chapters of the book that I hope to publish sometime in the future. Uh, Why is the rabbit wearing sunglasses? So that's it for me. Uh, Thank you for listening to the Sonic Cinema podcast. And this is Brian Scuttle. And I hope you enjoy uh, what you've heard and uh, that you continue to listen. I've got some more really great things coming up. (laughs) 